0: through the town he's a nameless one he's gonna have some fun he's gonna bring an outlaw down wasted it's over quick he's nailed them three four three and with the squint-eyed grin and stubble chin he rides through history fuck carl i feel so bad for missing your loan justice song man i humbly beg for your forgiveness that song rules does it does it relate directly to the Dark Tower? I don't know. It might. Anthrax has other songs that do directly relate to the Dark Tower, like Among the Living, a song about Randall Flagg. But is Roland Deshane of Gilead a bounty hunter? I don't know. I think he's more of a knight errant. But anyway, it could. That song might relate directly. It's a fun one, and I love it. Peace out. Hey, Joe that's really cool that maybe anthrax really likes stephen king i've never heard an interview with them or not uh, with any of the people in the group anthrax i have seen anthrax i saw them for a san antonio rock Fest and they played um they did not play lone justice but they did play um classics like the judge dread song I Am The Law, they played Indians, they played a lot of their new stuff or their latest stuff from that time, um, so I had a really cool, I think they actually played Armed and Dangerous as an encore, which is a classic older um, Anthrax song. It was a shorter set, because so it was like during the middle of the day, and on a, on not on the main stage, but on the second stage, but it was hella cool, and I'm glad you're an Anthrax fan. They're one of the big four along with Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer, and yeah, it'd be really cool. Um, one of these days, maybe we'll, you and I will have to sit together um, as metalheads, you know, wearing our shirt your shirts with shirt sleeves cut off and discuss um, influences in RPGs and books, or I guess it's influences from RPG and books that translate to songs that we love to bang our heads to. Um, I could already mention Anthrax, but definitely like Iron Maiden. There's a lot of literary references from um, Dune to uh, um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner to a lot of other stuff. Um, the Charge of the Light Brigade, the Trooper, right? So, same thing with uh, probably many other um, groups. I mean, Rush, classic stuff that they have that they probably self reference. Um, anonymous quote unquote poetry, uh, as an inspiration for 2112 when it's possible that Neil Peart wrote that anonymous poem. I don't know. I could be wrong. Ray Otis could chime in if he listens to this podcast and give us that info since he's a big rush scholar, but yeah, it'd be kind of cool to do. I love music. One of the big three things in my life, uh, music, RPGs, um, and beer right, uh, that I love and a part of my hobbies. So uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool stuff. And thanks for calling. And you get your own song, man. Oh my gosh, you can probably hear our cat, Peanut, who is sitting on my lap and purring in the background, Joe. uh, I guess Peanut likes you. She likes hearing your voice and is purring to it while I record in response. So uh, there you go, Dr. Love, lover of cats, lover of people. I'm all around good guy.
1: Smelly cat, smelly cat, what are they feeding you? Smelly cat, smelly cat, it's not your fault. They won't take you to the vet. You're obviously not their favorite pet. Smelly cat, smelly cat, it's not your fault.
0: So I'm pulling a Norton here. I did listen to the end of the your Death on the Reich summary, but I'm a little confused. What is it that you're not on board with? That there are fear checks in Warhammer, that elves are broken in Warhammer, or that players can use metacurrencies to avoid the effects of fear checks? I, I wasn't sure which of those three that you weren't really... you, you didn't really like. Because you alluded that there was something you weren't sure you liked, but you didn't clarify what exactly it was. Or at least, when I was listening at double speed driving down the road, I didn't catch what you said it was. So if you could clarify that, I would be ever grateful, my friend. Hey Jason, to clarify, so I think what I, I don't know if I get annoyed with, but I feel like I need to challenge the players more with this resolve resilience mechanic. That exists in the Warhammer Fantasy Fourth Edition. So, in previous editions, you only had Fate and Fortune, and you could uh, spend a Fortune point to re-roll a bad thing happening. Like if you failed a fear check, you could use a Fate point to uh, a Fortune point to re-roll an outcome. Um, and then, of course, with Fate, if you died or something, you could use a permanently burn a Fate point to somehow miraculously survive. So. In 4 Hammer 4th Edition, they've added another layer of kid gloves uh, to this meta-currency and it's Resolve and Resilience. And um, you spend, you can spend a Resolve to eliminate a condition. So fear is a condition, so you can use that to eliminate it. Now it's important if you're like down and dying or you're unconscious, because you can spend Resolve to stay in the fight, which I think is cool and gives players more agency. Um, If you have multiple conditions, well, you got to think, what am I going to do? I know we had a situation where a character was burning and unconscious and they spent the resolve, all their resolve to like stop the burning and decided not to come back and fight because then they still would have been burning. They only had one resolve left. So, and resilience can basically uh, change the outcome of a, of a bad situation. Like if you lose dramatically in a combat situation you can flip it or at least tie it something like that then you permanently spend one of your resilience points like you permanently spend a fate point so i think that's what i what i mean is like you can kind of you know because the conditions are bad right you fall unconscious you get knocked out you're on fire you're bleeding you uh, your fear and panic um and you can use this meta currency to kind of negate that temporarily. Now you have to do it round for round. So I think in a tougher fight in a longer fight, it could be a problem because eventually you run out of resolve and then you have to bail. Or if you have like, let's say they're in a situation where they're fighting demons and they failed their fear check to the first small set of small demons. Like in this case, but then there's a bigger demon and they have no more resolve because they burned it all. That could be a problem. For the players but in this case you know i just gotta you know i'm just kind of maybe feeling out the players figuring out what their strengths are they're getting you know as you progress in a game they get more and more powerful and these guys are savvy um we played at least one campaign of warhammer fantasy already some have played multiple so they kind of know in a way how the game works so they take advantage which i think is good it just challenges me as a gm and I probably should complain less and challenge the players more, right? So um, I don't mind the elf thing. Uh, the elves kind of get penalized because they don't have as much fate or resilience. And uh, fear should be fear, right? You should uh, see something. If you see something horrific, you should have to roll a fear check. So I'm cool with those. It's just maybe the way the meta currency works or that I wasn't quite as prepared for the players to like... uh negate that negative effect Uh, but it was a minor demon so not such a big deal if i had successfully cast a spell from one of these demons they would have been on fire too and then they would have to decide do i just run away or do i turn the fire off right one or the other so uh, there you go that's the explanation in about four minutes
1: carl this is kasha none of your budinsky there's a lot of people shooting right now so it might be a little noisy in the background. But I'm going to let you know I am mostly fine. Just a small surface wound cracked hip should not be a problem. Can't run, but I don't have to because I just tell other people to run for me. Work so much better. Anyways, Mr. Grancy and I, we think we should go start fire in the city. Make it a little more light. Distract people, you know, because we have Mr. Not Cutler. He's not nice. I might have to kill him. I have not decided yet, but he accused me of breaking friend's jaw. Now I have to do that. Too much on my plate. I have to go. Don't give up my location. Hey,
0: everyone. That was a message from Kasha um, coming to us live and from the distant past from our Twilight Two Thousand Fourth edition game and is telling us kind of a summary of what's happening and that yes she's okay she got smashed in the hip but is alive and fine and here to torture prisoners in a game near you. So um, yeah that's pretty cool to get a call in like that um, from an actual character not a player right in a game So, um, I don't know how that happened. Uh, Well, maybe I do know how that happened, but like Kasha asked, I cannot give away their position. So, um, I guess we're going to see Krakow burn, um, which, anecdotally, I've heard that this has happened before. I've heard of other uh, survivors in a Twilight 2000 game get pissed off at Krakow, and they just uh, have the wherewithal and capacity to just screw up the city because they really get pissed off about what happened so i don't know if we're at that point yet but we will see so that uh, again is a reference to our twilight 2000 game and uh thank you for the call in kasha i will not give away your position and uh screw that cutler dude he is bad news he's a meanie weenie um and i'm sure a lot of the characters in this game when they Realize that he's a turncoat, he's full of crap. He says he's from the fifth division and he is not. Oh, it's gonna piss off Diaz and Ronson and Grunts. And uh, of course it's already pissed off Sam probably. And now Kasha's pissed off at him. Um, Maybe Tops will uh, be a little more, not sympathetic, but uh, less angry. But uh, we will see what happens to Cutler the next time, and if our heroes, survivors can get out of the city, uh, downtown city, um, unscathed.
1: Hey Carl, it's me. Just wanted to let you know, A, I need my Benny, but B, I think for the remainder of the year, especially at Christmas time, every package you open, you should do an unboxing for Or an unstocking, for if it's in a stocking. Anyways, just saying. Anyways, uh, I think you should insert Christmas music here.
0: Okay, I'm going to do a Jason Hobbs sanctioned unboxing. Not really. I think Jason Connerly and Daniel Norton appreciate it. So I got a box. It is from Studio 2 Publishing, which is Pinnacle Entertainment's publishing company out of Knoxville, Tennessee. I have no idea what this might be, honestly. Um, So we'll see. Hopefully it is not a repeat of something that I might have double ordered. That could always happen. So I'm using a trusty anvil to open it up. It is a party mail two day box, actually. It is um, five inches wide and then sort of eight and a half by 12 ish. Um, Good, no packing peanuts, it's like a, a package within a box, and it looks like it's books. Actually, there's like a, two packages. There's a little package with stuffs in it, and then um, like a, one of those UPS two-day ground envelopes. So let me open the small package first. And it is, oh, wow, it's a bunch of uh, chips for, yeah, they're curious. I wonder what these are. They're like a bunch of poker chips, and they're Benny chips, basically. And these Benny chips are for East Texas University. So that's what this might be. On the one side, they have East Texas University, like, as a license plate. On the back side, they have, like, a... Um, a Dia de la Muerta, um, like a sugar face-painted um, person in a Mexican or Spanish-style dress, which is kind of neat. And there's other bennies, too. Like, there's different styles. There's that style. And on the other bennies, I think it's maybe half and half, maybe. Oh, no, they have, like, different styles. They have that one. They have one with the uh, the famous ETU. Ravens lo- uh mascot logo one with a uh, A creature with spines on its back You want to check them out Amy or are you gonna be quiet? Hi. and then another one with a like a like a cityscape of a landscape a gas station with a person on with a bat and a werewolf or something in the background so pretty cool set of pennies. Um, that's kind of cool. I don't remember Benny's being part of the deal, but hey, that's awesome. I guess they are. Oops. And Benny's go flying all over the place now. Um, that would probably be okay with uh, Rob um, down in the heat because he doesn't like the bennies. But uh, most players seem to like them. I don't think it's... Honestly, uh, just as a co- side comment, Rob said the bennies can get out of hand, but... Uh, Maybe they can. I mean, I don't know. It depends on the type of player. I know, like, uh, like some players. And I will say, for example, someone who's played Savage World a lot probably, like Arlen Walker, uses bennies like all the time. So there's not this like banking of bennies for the big boss. He kind of uses them, gets them, uses them, which I think is kind of cool and probably the way you should do it instead of banking them for the boss. But um, some people do that and wait till the end. But I've seen people do that with. Kind of any meta currency type of game from Fate to Modifius 2D20 to the Genesis system that Star Wars uses, but you should, Benny should be like an economy like that where you have a meta currency, should go back and forth, I think. Um, so I'll have a sip of my tea, um, as a homage to Andy Goodman and our Two Serpents uh, Call of Cthulhu group, and I'll open the other box. I'm thinking now, I wonder what this is. This might be a Kickstarter I did that I always forget about. Oh man, yeah, it is um, It is a full on ETU print stuff, including archetype cards, Amy, um, which is cool. It has the study abroad. Oh, so the study abroad is sort of um, these adventures where, you know, like if you were in college, if you remember, you could you had the opportunity to have a study abroad. For example, I know Amy took a study abroad in Mexico where she helped at the dig at Chinchoniza. But the, this is a study abroad. It is like it has Costa Rica, Italy, Poland, the UK. Um, and you can pack your bags and go on a study abroad uh, during the maybe the Degrees of Horror Plot point campaign, which it also is in here too. So the Study Abroad for sure is updated for the Suede. Uh, The other books, I guess I added as add-ons or they just tacked them on, because I don't remember this, but but like it has the Degrees of Horror uh, print book, the Degrees of Horror Plot Point Campaign. Um, So I have the Degrees of Horror, it's like two. I guess it's like, I feel like it was a, the PDF was like one big book, but it looks like there is a Degrees of Horror hardback, and it goes through freshman through senior year. Uh, we actually started an ETU campaign, and that game is uh, it's been played by Jason Connerly of um, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Wasteland, and Shay Webster of Roleplay Rescue. And uh, Jason's son is also joined in. And uh, it's kind of on hiatus. We did a couple plot points in the freshman year. I'd love to continue it. Uh, It looks like I got, for some reason, I have both the um, hardback and the paperback. So I don't know about that. That's kind of weird. So yeah, it looks like it's the same thing as one is a hardback and one is a paperback. So I have an extra copy, anyone who wants the ETU Degrees of Horror in print, hit me up. I'll probably send you the paperback copy, or maybe I could use it for a prize for something. Um, All right, and then I also got um, East Texas University, the main rule book in paperback. It's great. I love that stuff. And then I got, man, they sent me a lot of stuff in here, Uh, Class Ring. I don't know what class ring is. It looks like a paper, maybe a um, oh GM screen. I have the East Texas. Oh, they, that's kind of cool. They did send me a. This is getting to be a long unboxing, but it's got a lot of stuff on it. They did send me the East Texas University Conver- University conversion. So conversion from the previous edition of Savage Worlds to Suede as a one-page sort of cardstock item. And then I got some, there's some a couple other things in here. Okay, there's a, uh, oh, poster maps. There's two sets of poster maps that they sent me. A double-sided uh, poster map for ETU. It looks like it is not a repeat, but they're different. Yes, 313 and 314. So double-sided poster maps uh, to use for ETU. And then um, Pine Box Perils. Wow, Pine Box Perils. Uh, Savage Worlds Explorer, Savage Worlds Explorer, like zines, look at this, it's crazy. Um, yeah, so Pine Box Perils is like little, instead of the plot point, it's like that little mini-adventures. I was gonna run one of these, I believe, um, but then the, the players in the last adventure decided to go take a trip to Houston, so yeah, that's okay, that's actually okay. Um, so it's got two editions of Savage Worlds Explorer, which not just have East Texas University, but a Deadlands Noir. And the first one here, in number, episodes, in number six, it's got ETU, Deadlands Noir, Six Guns. And then in episode in number three, it's got ETU, a Supers game, um, Artist, and the last Parsec. So really good stuff to use for your Savage Worlds games. And yet, wait, there's more. Oh, yes, it's got those wonderful Pogs. Um, for ETU, which is great, yeah. I think maybe I'll have to get some ETU to the table because I love those pogs. They're super helpful in our deadlands game. They really visualize it and bring it to the table. So yeah, um, a big unboxing with a with an. I guess I I turned in a Benny to get an extra copy of the uh, um, Degrees of Horror. So um, yeah, very cool. East Texas University. I guess the uh, study abroad and all the extras that I got with it have come in. Last night, I was able to play in an ongoing game of the Pulp Cthulhu adventure, The Two-Headed Serpent. It is run by Andy Goodman of Grizzly Peaks Radio Media Empire. And there are three other players, uh, one of which Nikki. Uh, who has the Infiltrating the Brosar podcast is one of them, and two other players who do not have a podcast. And I am joining in sort of midway at some point through the campaign, which is kind of cool. I am Amar, or Amar, who is an Inuit uh, Danish ancestry person, who is a geologist and archaeologist and um, he after suffering or escaping an earthquake there in Iceland he found his friends missing so he tracked him to a cave and here he encountered his companions negotiating with these giant cave-dwelling humanoids called that he learned were called vormi um, that had maybe captured his friends but he wasn't sure he joined these Intrepid adventurers, and they crossed this chasm to find um, some sort of laboratory, prison, facility. There are other Vormi there. There was a giant Vormi that shocked um, Amar. And uh, when we last left, they had come into this lab-like manufacturing place. There are a lot of vats that had things inside of them, shadowy figures inside of them. And two serpent-like humanoids came at us in sort of hover spheres with pistols brandished. That's where we stopped the last time. This time we picked up and we confronted these serpent folk. Um... Amar did not get into the combat. The other player characters leveled their Enfield rifles and shot them and killed them. Amar did get hit with a flame pistol somewhere in between and took a bit of damage but did not catch on fire, which was great. And then we started, and both hovercraft, hover spheres, hover bubbles, kind of, floated to the ground so we could potentially use them. We had learned about their, from finding a crash one in the chasm, the previous adventure, uh, we had put together how to work them. So a couple of players might be jumping in, player have their characters jump in and use them. Uh, before we could do that, however, um, some mechanical arms came down and injected one of the players, AP, that's AP Thackeray, and then some creatures came out of the vats. More, they were like mutated or giant serpent folk with long tongues and sharp claws. And they attacked with their long tongues at some of the players. So the two other player characters are, it looks like Richard Chesterton, that is Nikki's player character and Logan Selby. And Logan got caught by this tongue. And I remember Chesterton trying to cut it off. That's the last thing Amar remembered because he I actually got a critical fumble on a sanity check. So I'd lost like the eight sanity and coupled with what all the other things I that Amar had seen in this complex, he went temporarily insane. And we rolled it, and he went into a red rage. So he took out his billy club and started smashing at this creature. Um, He smashed at one, and then another one, and other things happened in between where the players were attacking these creatures and Selby got pulled into the vat and almost drowned. Uh, AP uh, managed somehow to overcome the pain of whatever whatever these mechanical arms injected him with. And so much so that uh, after Amar had killed the other creature, he was still in a red haze and was turning to his new companions, maybe seeing that they looked serpent-like as well. But uh, AP talked him down using his psychoanalysis. But um, yeah, so Amar is in a bad way. He has lost 13 uh, sanity so far. He started with 70, so if he loses two more, then he gets that sort of... He um, it, it gets kind of this condition where anytime he takes sanity he's going to go temporarily insane so he's the um, term is so Amar is indefinitely insane so yeah that's where it's been bandied about on the Audio Dungeon Discord right that's something that uh, some of the people there were commenting about that it kind of takes away your player agency because now you have to play someone who's going to be going in and out of bouts of insanity and you got to change their psychology and how they act. And they'll probably develop phobias or manias of some sort. But the good thing is AP Thackeray is a psychiatrist and now he has a, a field patient. We decided, <laughs> which could be pretty fun, honestly. And I accept the challenge and it should be interesting. Hopefully I will keep going into, a you know, seeing the red mist and kill everything in front of me like a berserker. But uh, we will see uh, how that goes. So after dealing with these monstrosities, we continued into the complex. We still hadn't heard or found the villagers that had been kidnapped, but we did maybe find them. We found another laboratory where there are two snake men and uh, one, one got shot with an Enfield and Amar charged the other one and smashed it down, not killing them, but knocking them unconscious. And we saw to our horror... Um, people being systematically dissected in these other vats so like they were in some sort of liquid and being kept alive and some were completely dissected like one piece at a time organs bones skin and, and the last vats at the far end it was just like eyes that seemed to be still alive with stuff we put those out of their misery and rescued maybe the ones that we could so uh, that's where we left Amaris on the edge he is a a man on the edge and is about to go crazy again and again but we gotta get out of there and rescue these prisoners but if we don't well, more bouts of insanity to come I imagine so that is a two-headed serpent for Pulp Cthulhu The second game I'm going to talk about is a game I ran this morning for my buddies, um, BJ Boyd of the Arcane Alienist, Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Arlen Walker from Live from Pelham's Wasteland, and our other friend who does not have a podcast. So they play, BJ Boyd plays Bernfried, a priest of Amuntor, the god of tricks and traps and puzzles and stuff. Um, we have Idris, uh, Jason playing Idris Khan, who is a sorcerer of the Red Waste and the desert, who, whose patron is a demon of sand and wants to see the world become a big desert. Maybe it's a giant worm. I don't know. Maybe it's Leto Atreides. We'll never know. Anyway, um, Arlen plays Ardath who is ardeath of the Thrice-Cursed Sword, or ardeath of the Sword, who wields the Sword of the Moon Kings. He is a warrior. And the last player plays Otto, who is a dwarf. So when we last left the players, they were had been holed up in a castle in a tower. They had attacked the tower and kind of ran through the defenders, killing these plant creatures and men, uh, killing a hag and a troll, but then being kind of a little beat up, so they retreated to this tower room. In this tower room, there was a grate, and below them was another troll, a giant troll who seemed to be insane and mad, and kept trying to jump at at them and could not. Um, they had also found this cauldron, this magical cauldron that they had sequestered and kept for themselves, and they tried to rest and recover. Um, at some point in the late uh, night or early morning. They were taunted by another hag who said, uh, who told, had told them, I know you have killed my sister, but if you give us the cauldron back, we will let you free. We will not kill you. And um, they could tell that there are probably another couple trolls out there and a bunch of plant men ready to break in from both sides of the of the tower to try to deal with the player. So um, they planned, and the first thing that they did is. Um, Ardath broke the grate and kind of let it down on the big troll. And they wanted to use this big insane troll to maybe act as sort of a, um, not necessarily fodder, but um, act as a, an inadvertent shock troop against the other trolls. They surmise that maybe it was, well, they surmise it. it was imprisoned and it probably did not like the other trolls. So they would probably use it to smash through uh, the the besiegers, and maybe help the players to break out. Um, Bernfried, meanwhile, was talking smack to uh, the hag and really annoying them. They heard movement and, uh, outside, and they felt that perhaps the plant men were being ordered to grab some of the benches and stuff out there to try to break through. Meanwhile, Idris Khan um, cast some fly spells, and he made the circle... He rolled, uh, Jason rolled really well. He rolled a a natural 20. So like 31, 32 plus on the success for the spell and created a circle within the circle. All the, all the, uh, heroes stood and then they were able to fly and fly for a long time and carry twice their weight and fly like 60 feet around for like all day. So that's a pretty amazing cast of the spell. Um, then as they heard the, Plant men ram the door with a bench and crack it. Otto the Dwarf opened the door because the characters are now going to bust out. Um, And Idris Khan again showed his worth as a a spellcaster and cast Color Spray. Again, rolled a natural 20 and got the highest success he could. And this rainbow of color appears and blasts out at the enemy. If people were outside the castle, they could see the colors lighting up the castle from miles away. Um, and every enemy within 200 feet was affected. So it destroyed the plant men, knocked the two trolls on the outside unconscious and knocked the hag unconscious as well. Uh, the one, the only enemy who survived was the troll in the hole who actually I rolled a natural 24 for a save so it, survived, it didn't get blasted. Uh, so the characters break out they start to hack up the trolls and kill the hag. Um, the giant troll that's insane jumps out of the hole and starts tearing up one of the trolls as well. Um, so yeah, they defeat this siege pretty handily, and they carry the troll bodies into the the uh, fires that are there, the fire in the hearth in the feast room, and the fire in the kitchen, and they burn the trolls. Um, Idris Khan drives the giant insane troll away with another color spray and it, he blinds it and it runs and falls back into the hole. It doesn't die cause it's a troll. It falls like 20 feet, injures itself and probably, um, recovers. Of course it's a troll. It regenerates, but, um, it never comes back out of the hole. I rolled like confusion rolls whenever Jason reminded me or, they remembered about the troll or I remembered about the troll and it was always either um, babbling and incoherent or um, doing nothing. So um, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, they got lucky, I guess. So, um, but their luck did not quite hold. So they continued to then to explore this um, ground level of the castle that they had um, attacked. And it seems like there might be, they've, surmise that there might be one more hag in this coven or trio of hags, but they've retreated either below or above and they have like a run of this kind of ground level. Um, so they can explore. So, um, Bernfried goes through this curtain and it's dusty and full of like yellowish dust. It turns out to be some sort of toxic poisonous mold. So he gets caught up in the cloud and takes some damage and, uh, they, decide to burn it away and death uh, takes a torch to it but also is affected even with the bonuses. He just, a couple of ones for poor Arlen there and um, they both took like 3d6 con damage which, you know, this yellow mold dust stuff can really kill uh, even the strongest of characters it seems which was kind of interesting. Um, behind this burned tapestry now, they saw a statue without a head they explored some more and found the head, and the statue kind of gave this proclamation via magic mouth. Um, oh, something I did forget that was kind of cool in the combat is the the before Idris Khan wiped out the the little mini army that was there. We actually ran a spell duel, and Bernfried counterspelled uh, with second sight the in, attempted invisibility spell of the hag which was kind of cool. We kind of played with that mechanic, but it was then unnecessary to continue the spell duel because Idris knocked the hag unconscious, so. But that was pretty good. I allowed the second sight to, because it can predict, like if you roll well enough, it can predict the outcome of what's happening or where something is the next round. So I kind of allowed it, because in a way you could kind of predict where an invisible person was. So uh, you can agree or disagree, but hey, it's our game, and that's what I decided. Um, and. I thought it was a cool way to test the mechanic. So uh, anyway, we're exploring. They eventually, um, after they find that this is a magic mouth that gives a warning, again, it's like it's almost like the same thing. You're too late. Uh, the curse has happened to the, denis- the original owners of this tower, blah, blah, blah. Um, they knock the head off because they don't want to keep hearing it. So then they go into this other room, and it looks like some sort of shrine. There's a skeleton with a silver diadem. Um, Silvered like diadem on its head, and coins have been thrown on this bed with a canopy. Bernfried goes to explore, and the canopy comes to life and attacks and engulfs him. And I call it the Canopy Monster because I wouldn't have no idea what it is, but everyone realized eventually that it was a cloaker. And if you remember cloaker from AD&D First Edition, A2, Secret of the Slaver Stockade. It was a monster spoiler. Sorry, that is introduced there, and then I think it was reprinted uh, in Monster Manual 2 for AD&D. It's a to me, it's an iconic monster. They did some cool things in the for, one of the Forgotten Realms books where they looked at. I think it was it might have been an AD&D second edition book where they had like the Underdark of the Forgotten Realms, and there were like cloaker cities and anyway cloakers are cool to me they're iconic i've never been able to use one and it was awesome to use one especially in dcc where they have like multiple actions because there are enough hit dice to do so so i ruled that the cloaker could do its like Sonicy thing and then maybe attack once or twice so it engulfed bernfried it had this moaning going on already that kind of uh, was disconcerting and gave penalties to attack for the players um Otto the Dwarf went up and attacked it, but then realized that he was hurting Bernfried instead. Um, they did some other things that were generally ineffective. Eventually Otto was able to use a, a mighty deed to grab the creature by the tail and then fling it against the wall where it got injured a bit and released Bernfried, but then the creature with a vengeance attacked Otto and smashed his kneecap and did a lot of damage to him. Um, attacked him more than once. And eventually Otto was kind of like floating there unconscious. It it changed its sonic attack to something that nauseated some of the players. So um, I think both Otto before he went unconscious and Bernfried were effectively nauseated for about four rounds and they couldn't do anything except for move. Um, so that's what Bernfried did. He, When he tried to flee, the creature slapped him with its spiky tail and nearly killed him. Um, And then it was just Idris and Ardeth. And then Ardeth was soon out of the fight because the creature uh, changed its sonic attack again to a fear. And Ardeth fled, even though he and Idris had made the nausea, had saved against the nausea attack. So it looked pretty grim for the players. that This cloaker may have been able to... uh, Destroy them. If not for a bit of luck, um, Otto was dying. It went after Idris. It engulfed him. Um, Idris was able to uh, cast a spell, even though engulfed, and distract the creature enough to escape and and try to flee. Ardeth was running out. Bernfried un- uncontrollably. Burnfried was fleeing. Uh, the creature tried to you know. And then oh, a cool thing that actually. Um, Jason did with Idris is that he he basically flew the creature while it was engulfing him towards a fireplace so it let him go as well. Um, so there's like this a few rounds where it was like try to get Idris, try not, and then Idris escapes. Um, it, it engulfs him again and was sort of dragging him back. And uh, Bernfried was like, "Oh man, I got to do something because Otto is dying." Uh, Idris looks like he's going to be done for. The creature is chewing on Idris's the back of Idris's neck. Um, Guernfri tries to turn it, and uh, he used his luck to try to increase the DC of the turn because we judged that it was an aberration and he could turn those according to his god's dictates, but uh, I made the saving throw, um, and people were like, Sigh. I think that's when they kind of, until, somehow, miraculously, Idris beat my 21 strength creature on a strength check to escape and was able to pour a potion into the gaping, bleeding out mouth of Otto, saved him. And then using the last spell that he, he had available, Idris was able to surround the creature with a stinking choking cloud, doing damage to it and harassing it. And it just did not like this cloud cause it was taking damage was distracted, you know, took minuses to attack. So it's trying to escape the cloud um, for some rounds. And then Ardith recovered, came back and attacked it. It tried to flee again. Ardith hit it again. It looked like it was going to try to escape the castle at that one point because Idris kept succeeding enough to harass this creature. Um, and then Ardeth was finally able to catch up with it, you know, flying 60 feet uh, versus 40 feet. Um and dispatch the creature so it was a tough fight um they found that there was a treasure room that they can examine next time um and they defeated the cloaker and hopefully will be rewarded well treasure wise for it so pretty cool uh tough fight um action-packed session but that's a dcc for you it's a fantastic game love this iteration of the 3.5 engine and I think we're really enjoying it. Really good group.